How's it going, Wildcats? This is the Words to the Wildcat podcast, season two, episode five. And it being episode five, this will be our last episode of this fall quarter. And we would just like to say that it's been a very great experience and opportunity allowing us to just talk, get an opportunity to talk with y'all. And we love to show appreciation to all of our guest speakers and especially to all of you who are able to listen. And with that being said, let's get to the introductions. My name is Tommy Fernandez and with me as always is Aurelia Ruiz. What's up Wildcats? Thank you so much for joining us today. Our last episode was themed around foundations of leadership and we had an amazing discussion with CWU alumni, Anthony Peterson. If you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, make sure to do so. Yeah, please do. It was a great uh, conversation we had. And today's episode's theme is going to be on professional management. And remember, Wildcats, for listening to today's episode, you can receive credit towards earning your Wildcat Leadership Certificate by just completing a simple, quick assessment of this episode. Awesome. And we are so excited to have Associate Professor Teresa Devine joining us today. She is currently a professor at Central Washington University who has an extensive educational background. Divine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. Yeah, so we can go ahead and get started right now. Um, do you want to tell our Wildcats a little bit about yourself, a little bit about like what you do on campus? I am um, associate professor in the Department of Law and Justice, and um, I have I used to be advisor of the Black City Union. I currently advise the Law and Justice Club. Um, and that's about it. I teach my heart out. Uh, well, we love to hear that. And Divine, one thing I remember when I first met you, you actually gave a presentation for this cohort that Aurelia and I are part of, the Cross-Cultural Leadership Program. And yes. that really just highlighted to me was just your ability just to honestly just be real, be upfront, and not not shy away of, you know, say, talk, saying what you feel and just being your authentic self. And I have a couple of friends that have are in the law and justice program and then to just, they speak so highly of you as a professor. So I'm kind of curious on just, is that just your style, just being who you are, being your authentic self? It is who I am and I try to be myself always 100. Um, and I, I want all students, you should be able to be yourself because you can't really be anybody else. And I think that um, it's just part of who I am. I'm from the Bronx, New York. And um, all of that stuff about me, my blackness, my Latino-ness, my um, urbanness comes out. And sometimes I, uh, I do feel that I don't belong because of those things. But um, most of the time I feel like um, it is who I am and I, and I can't change that. And it pours all over the classroom and onto people. And sometimes you smell like cocoa butter. And sometimes you think you in the, in the on the city street. But it is what it is. I mean, but it doesn't mean that um, I don't come from a place of love. I don't want the best for all students at Central. Um, it's just who I am. And in, in some spaces, it's a good thing. And in some spaces, it's not, to, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love to hear that because when I hear and see professors like you be their like authentic selves, I have a couple like professors like shout out to Dr. Flores, Dr. Yes. G, love them. They're also professors I would say embody that authentic professionalism. And I feel like that is just something so amazing to have. So I really appreciate you. I know it's not always easy to be that authentic professional, but 
Um, in terms of like professionalism and trying to be your authentic self as well, something we wanted to highlight was just the idea of the dominant culture and what a professional should mm -hmm. look like um, and how like, how, what kind of ideas do you think that kind of like takes a hold of professional management and how do you kind of overcome all of those dominant cultures and dominant ideas? Right. I do uh, agree to a certain extent there is a level of professionalism we must have. So, for example, I teach the law part of the Law and Justice Department. The Law and Justice Department is broken up into why crime happens, the study of crime, those kind of things. And then there's the law part. Those who want to go to law school is, you know, um, well, how is the laws affecting communities and things like that. So in our department, we have um, a Supreme Court panel where we choose each, all the faculty or those faculty who wanna get involved, choose a student to present a case that is currently on the Supreme Court. And we go on, we compete against each other as faculty, not as students. Um, and cause one student can, can win the best presentation and win like the little pro the, the prize, the source. And so it's very competitive in my department. And so um, I always beat everybody, I beat the breaks of everybody in my department. And part of it is one that I give my students all of my time who are, who are, who are mentoring to do this presentation. Sometimes it's two students, sometimes it's three and only one can win and we work as a team. In addition to um, practicing your speaking, you gotta do your research. If you wanna win, you have to um, meet with me every single week to fill in those holes that are missing. And then the other part of it is that you have to dress appropriately. A lot of our students don't know how to dress professionally um, and it's not their fault. And so one of the things I do is I make them send me a picture of what they're gonna wear that day. And even the boys, even the boys, they have to have the proper undershirt under their white shirt if they're gonna wear a shirt and tie. And for the ladies, you gotta pull it in and cover it up a little bit but in it, you have, you know, in order to look professional, you want them to hear what you're saying. You want them to understand that case and be moved by that case and not by necessarily how tight your clothes are or how um, disheveled or, un or wrinkled you are that they can't hear you. So in that sense, there is a level of professionalism when you're presenting to the public and it's competitive. And those who are going to go on to law school have to learn that because you got to do your moot court competition or your tri trial club or um, whatever is going on at the institution that you're at. You have to be able to show up to events, dress properly, and to be able to rock it. It's not all just reading and writing. And so in that sense, there is a level of professionalism. But I do love, you can, you can wear your shirt and tie and come with the swag, like do what you gotta do. You wanna rock your colors, you wanna, you wanna uh, wear a bright um, shirt, that's fine. Those, you, who you are should come out because who we are is unique and who we are is the shit. And so it's really important that that part of you comes out and, 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 and you are who you are and it's, it has to be in everything. You don't wanna hide behind something like, uh, you know, that is not you. Yeah. You know, who we are is just, is magical and beautiful. It's like music. When people see you, they should be like, oh yeah, oh, 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 ow. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's what I think. And, and that, that's what I try to bring to the classroom. Not only are you gonna learn the law, 
you're going to be moved by it every day. That, that's my goal. And for some people, that's unprofessional. For some people, that's considered to, you just present the law and that's enough. But for me, it's, it's, it's not enough. So, yeah. yeah and we there is some of that that has to happen. Yeah, and we love to hear that. And I'm sure all of your students really just appreciate that you go that extra mile for them. Not all, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, not all. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm wondering how that is for you being an associate professor on campus. I'm sure you have a lot of students that even when you have your available office time, they come to you to seek knowledge, to seek wisdom, just ask advice. But how do you manage that as a professional with everything else you have to do being a professor on campus? How do you avoid not spreading yourself out too thin and just being there for support for students? while also being able to do all of your responsibilities being a professor here at CWU? Um, it can be very difficult um, because uh, that interaction that coming into my classroom, that time I spend on source is not kind of uh, matriculated into our performance really. There's no way to really show that in your performance as a faculty member that this is what you're doing and that you're spending time. So like, for example, in Farrell Hall, I started the um, food pantry because our um, building is filled of students all day long because we have several classes. We sh at one point we shared it with Soch, now we share it with PolySci. And so students were coming in and out and they were hungry. And so I would spend my own money filling that pantry and it got very expensive and it got very um, hard. Like um, I would say I would put microwave mac and cheese. I would put four, five, eight out, walk away to go to my, and it's gone like, like that, like in seconds. And that's okay, but it was hard to keep up. So I had to go to push and make sure that they filled that pantry. No, but you don't get credit for that. You don't get promotions for those things. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, my, my office can be filled with students that some, sometimes I have to be like, look, you have to leave right now because I have to do this, or I have to give this one student confidentiality. And so I need you to leave. We're gonna discuss their grades. So it can be hard and I don't, I never want to turn a student away, um, but it, it, you know, it's, it's important to give students your time. And so when you are a person of color at a predominantly white institution and we recruit students of color, they need us, they want us, they, they come to find us. And they didn't come all of this way and find you and hear about you and come to your office for you to be like, I ain't got time for you, get out of here. So you have to open your arms and say, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, we live in a Trump town. Yeah, it's gonna be all right. And you're here to do your job. I'm here to do my job. You're gonna rock this. And they, they need us. In addition to that, um, the faculty need each other. It's, and um, I know that a lot of students of color say, you know, we need more faculty and staff of color, but faculty and staff of color need them too. Like I need Susanna Flores to be my friend, right? To have my colleague, you know, my comrade, to, to, to tell me that she loves me and I tell her that I love her. And she says, I sustain, my love sustains her. That, that is important to us. So it goes both ways. We need um, faculty and staff need other faculty and staff of color so that we can have a community and we have 
um, a place to um, share a heart, right? Because you, in in reality, your students. I can't hang out with you. I can't tell you my my pains and my loves and my wants. I'm supposed to be there for you, and so we need um, a community for ourselves. Um, but it is a pleasure, though, to do the work. It really is to watch a young person come in and be like, I don't know what I want to do. Oh my God. And then blow the fucking roof off Central. This is what y'all do. Just a little bit of time and attention and y'all, y'all rock, y'all rock Central. Yeah. It's a pleasure. And that honestly makes my heart just so happy. Like it genuinely makes my heart explode with joy just hearing some stuff like that. Just because I, for one, being a student of color, being a mujer on campus, I definitely hear what you're saying because I have been connected with Doctora Flores since my freshman year. And it has been a roller coaster for me being here at Central, just being separated from my family and just trying to find my place. But she was one of the first people to even tell my parents, like, hey, I'm going to take care of her. And I will remember those words for the rest of my life. And I feel like that speaks so much and so highly of all of y'all, just because our idea of a professional sometimes is in and out, let's get the job done. I'm clocked out, sorry, can't do it anymore. But I feel like that just shows so much from all of y'all, like every professor on cent- like at Central and beyond, like I feel that that just speaks so much about you actually care about your profession, what you're willing to do for the job. Because even though our idea of professionalism might just be a title, yeah, you earned the the dean title or you earned this uh, like CEO title. I feel like it goes so much more. It's beyond the title. It's what you do with the job. And I feel like it's not necessarily a question, but I just wanted to connect with you a moment because honestly, thank you for sharing that because I didn't realize how much uh, professors need us students of color to just kind of connect and interact with them to be able to have that sense of community as well. And the other thing that we do also essential that I'm really proud of is that we kind of have a network. So if I met you and I know that you need a Susanna, I'm gonna call Susanna and I'm gonna be like, listen, me, this this young woman that you have to meet, I'm sending her your way. And that's what we do. We're a network of people who are trying to create that circle for you to be successful. And I don't know, I can't speak for Susanna, but I know for myself that I feel like there's so much work to be done and I'm the person, I have to do some of it. And I I think I told, we had a discussion before that um, I do my job, I teach, I grade, I do all those things, but sometimes I get in trouble. (laughs) I get in trouble for things that I feel like are on my heart to do that I don't always ask permission first to do. Like for example, um, when Trump got elected in 2016, he began to sign these executive orders. And one of those executive orders was to, to close the, um, the countries, uh, uh, to not allow country, certain people from certain countries to come, Muslim countries, for example. And um, it, it, it created a sentiment on campus and around the country um, against Muslim people, like really um, the travel bans, right? You can't travel here from this, from your country. And so, in 2016, we had already designated the Muslim prayer rooms in Hertz Hall, but they were not open. 
and now you're saying there's going to be this travel ban. And um, I had other people in which that I spoke to. Saeed Mohammed was on campus and um, he was an advisor in Hertz. And I went to him and I was like, we, we got to do something. Also, my father had died. He, he was Muslim. And I was on my heart to be like, I got to do something. And his, his life and his burial was the most incredible experience in my life. My father came to me ill. I took care of him thinking that, you know, because he had me, his favorite child, to take care of him, he would make it, but he didn't. He lived six months and he wanted to be buried as a Muslim. And I was like, how am I gonna do this? So I called Yakima, Yakima, it doesn't work out. I call, and so then I run into Saeed Muhammad and Saeed says, I call my dad. His dad said, oh yeah, um, this is how much it costs to get buried in Covington, Washington. Plus you have to move the body. It was a lot of money. It was like, like $10,000 plus another um, two or three grand to move him when he passes away. And I told him, look, I can't, we can't afford it. We got a thousand each, me and my sister to bury my dad. So we'll probably cremate him. And my dad went very quickly, like two weeks or three weeks later, he was gone. And Saeed didn't judge me at the time I told him that, but he, and I had, we were in Seattle at the time uh, where he died. And Saeed called his father and the um, a few men from the mosque came and said, we will pray for him. When they heard he was sick and that he would die, they prayed over his body. They prayed outside the door on their knees. And I was so worried that people would see them outside the um, hospital room and like yell at them or hurt them. And I was like, be careful, you know, the public sentiment, um, please, you know? And they were like, no, we got this, God's got this. And it was very beautiful. And I know my father heard the prayers over his life and over his body and they paid for everything. They didn't know him. They never saw him before, but because he was Muslim, that was their brother. They barely let me give my $2,000 and buy his plaque. I had to be like, no, he's my father, right? And that, when I say his death was beautiful, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. For people who don't know you, to pay for, your, for you to be buried in the way in which God you chose, right? It was beautiful. So I had that on my heart. And this travel ban happens. And I hear that these prayer rooms are not open. So Saeed got the keys in the middle of the night. My husband, a member from the BSU, I think it was Jayana who helped us and Michelle Cyrus from Diversity Center brought her steamer. We started cleaning out the rooms, moving um, file cabinets and stuff and vacuuming the floor, went to the store, bought um, rugs and put them down. It was beautiful. The women's room and the men's room and I think we did it on a Wednesday. By that Friday, they had the first Juma on campus and every room was full. But when I say that I get in trouble, I did ask permission. I didn't call a dean or a vice president and say, can we please open these rooms? I just did it <laughs> in the middle of the night because I felt like it was the right thing to do. And you know, I was told that I was gonna get in trouble. I was bullied into believing that um, the another vice president would get in trouble because of my 
what I did. And I had to call around and, and apologize, but come to find out everybody was like, that's, that's all right. And that um, nobody got in trouble. And so, you know, that's what I mean when um, I don't always do, do it the right way, the professional way, but it was urgent in my heart because people felt um, scared. And Juma is about unity and community every Friday. And so I was like, we have to let, have, create the space for them to gather. And it was, and we did it and it was great. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And you know, you talk about how it maybe wasn't like a, as professional, but I think that was just you just being human and you just believing that this was the right thing to do. And I'm, that just makes us just so happy and appreciative that you know everything worked out. And as I said, the story that you shared was amazing. And kind of like going back, you kind of touched on this a little before just you know, at Central, you know, we do, we like to say that we are a diverse uh, student population, but then that doesn't really re reflect our faculty, our professors, all our staff on campus. So I want to know, as you coming into Central for the first time, how was that for you kind of navigating through this university that, you know, even this town, you know, this town, as you said, a Trump town, more conservative views, just how what was that experience like just navigating finding your community within wow that was like 15 years ago oh. um at first it was <laughs> it was really yeah. scary yeah. and in the very beginning um the students would give me really bad evaluations and tell me to go back to the ghetto um and things like that and so um and try to talk over me and heckle me when i first um got there and say stuff like, you know, go back to the ghetto, black people commit all the crimes, things like that. And the first quarter, honestly, I would go home and cry. Like these, these white kids hate me. Like, I don't know what else to do. But then um, my sister came to visit me. She came, I got here in September. She was here by October. Like, I wanna know what's going on. <laughs> and so, um, and you know, I, I um, grew me and my sisters raised each other so it was you know it's like you can do anything this if you want this you can do this and like a lot of um faculty of color we're first in our families to be phds and jds and to to go this far and um and first to be you know university professors and so my sister was like if you want this you're gonna have to fight for it and so i realized that you know i'm the boss I am the one who holds your grades in my hands. The, the, this, this shit right here is me. This, like I run this, this is my classroom. And so by the end of that first quarter, I was like, hold on, wait a minute. You, you, you want me to go back to the ghetto? I'm not. And you will leave this classroom until you put, learn some respect. And so when I learned that this, I had the power um, and that this, that I worked too hard to let some people like some kids bully me, um, then I got it. Then I learned to control my classroom. And I do a speech beforehand like, yeah, I'm black and I'm from the Bronx and you probably never met anybody like me. But if you hang in there, we gonna, we gonna have the greatest experience you've ever had you know, with a, with a black professor. 
And, and I tell them I am black and all the things that uh, I'm gonna talk about is, is facts and all these things, but they are um, part of who I am. And, and I think that's why students want faculty of color because um, we, we give our all, we give everything um, for our students and for you all to be successful. But yeah, it was hard. I was lonely, it was very lonely. And it was um, very scary, uh, but I did make a very good friend that is still my friend. And um, we're, we're very different. And her name is Lucinda Carnell and she's in biology. And she came in that sec, I was an adjunct and then I got on tenure track. She came on the tenure track when I came to tenure, on tenure track. And we talk a lot, we still talk a lot about how to get through it, how to, to uh, make your way. And then also Dr. Bobby Cummins um, in the English department was uh, very helpful too. And, um, and so I tried, I found my community. I sought them out. And, um, and that's a lot. It's very much like what the students do when you get here, you find your group, you find the BSU, you find your Mecha, you find uh, FASA and, and that's your community. And even if you don't join a club, students find their community and the faculty and staff have to do the same thing. We have to, we need each other and, and we want them here just as bad as you do, I promise you, you know. Every time I see Susanna Flores, my heart, I'd be like, I love you. So, yeah. I'm just so happy you took back your power. In that incident, I don't know if I would have been able to keep it quote unquote professional. I'd be so mad if people Oh, listen, I've had, I, I did struggle with that where somebody says, well, black people commit all the crime. And I'll be like, okay, <laughs> hold on. This is this is how it works, right? We're over policed, you know. You we're um, over um, incarcerated for this for minor offenses. It just appears that way, you know. And so you got to understand the disparities and things like that. And so you know you have to give them the real facts, the the the, the story behind what you're seeing on the news. And you and I try to tell them that's what you're gonna get with me. So. But Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. No, and you mentioned something about like uh, faculty of color being the first in their families to get their PhD, even maybe even get their AA for who who knows, you know, right. um, as a first generation student myself, I kind of want to know your perspective and how you kind of guide students like BIPOC students or first generation students and how they can navigate Central Washington University or maybe any university, you know. Well, um, again, I think clubs are important for students of color because it gives you that support and that strength um, to move forward, but also seek us out. We, are, um, we, can, we tend to be very busy sometimes and, and with COVID, I know it's really hard to, to reach out, but when we were in our offices, um, I know that the, the faculty that I know, Dr. G, Dr. Garcia and um, PolySci, our offices are open for you and we're here to do all that we can. And also seek out the different programs like TRIO and the McNair program. Um, if you wanna go on and get your PhD, the McNair program is the, the thing to do. And so um, I think that's a good way to um, navigate your way. And then just to, to trust that it's gonna be okay. 
And I know that it's hard and I know that it can be lonely, but you can do it. But, and then the other part of that is to remember that you want a mission, boo. You want a mission. You came here to get your shit, to get your paper, to get them degrees so that when your parents come, we like, congratulations, right? They've been working their hearts out to get you right here. And there's nothing anybody can say to you to keep you from getting it. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, you came to do a job and that's what I tried to um, hope my students of color understand that, that this is a mission that you came to do that your parents and your parents' parents sacrificed for you to do. And you got a role like this, uh, this gangster shit right here, I'm coming to get it. And it might be easy for some and hard for others, but it can't be that hard because your parents is still grinding, right? If you got to go to the library, if you got to get tutored, if you gonna miss a party, hey, you doing it for your, for your people. So that at graduation, I can be like, mom, you did it. Cause that's what I say too. And the other thing that um, I feel like I'm bragging, but one of the things that I did when I got here was I started the very first um, students of color graduation and it was through the black student union. We held the very first, we were all, it was like eight students and we had stoles, I couldn't say stoles. And with that, I didn't ask permission. We just did it, me and Abola J Maje Kobaje. We just did it. And um, I had a friend in the diversity center, um, George A. Popovich, who was like, yeah, do it. And we did it and we got a lot of complaints, right? Why, why is there a separate graduation? Why are you having a separate? And they was writing me, emailing me, like these mean ass emails, like, oh, so now we doing segregation again, right? Stuff like that, like, really y'all? So I would just send the emails to Popovich because he liked to fight. And he would email people back. And I, he just said, just keep doing the work. And after that, we had um, Mecha Latinx graduation, um, which is fucking phenomenal. Y'all graduation, y'all go hard, oh my God. <laughs> and then FASA and then, you know, the equals graduation. The um, And so now, it's everything and then, but people don't understand, even some black people, you know, gave me a hard time about the awards that I chose for the first graduation. Like why Muhammad Ali, he, he didn't go to the draft and why not MLK? I was like, this is gangster shit. We going hard, we going for the people who were radical like Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, who's, who was the people's champion and not the, everybody's champion, right? And so he stood up and said he won't fight for, you know, uh, a country that don't love him. Y'all don't love me. Y'all don't got no respect for me. Why should I put my life on the line? And so I got beat for that, you know, uh, but now it's a, it's a uh, entity of its own. All the graduations are funded by the school. Let me tell you, they didn't fund them before. It was like a potluck, honey. We used to make, the students used to be up all night making food. Same with, you know, uh, the Latin graduation, I believe I wasn't if Dr. G and uh, Dr. Hall could tell you better, but you know, they'd be cooking all night and stuff. And I had um, 
a staff person come in and be like, this is like a church, this is like a this is like a church meeting. You know, after church you go eat, they like this. I was like, don't matter. We're together and we're celebrating. And the parents loved it. So that is what we and, and that's what I would tell as soon as a, a color who was struggling how to move forward. Do it for the end. Do it to stand on the stage. Cause we waiting for you. We planning for you. Yeah. I really love to hear that. That just got me a little emotional. I'm not gonna lie. We're here. Turn up. Oh, oh good. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I'm I'm getting emotional myself. I'm giving myself chills. But I mean, when we when we make it happen, when we do what we do, mm -hmm. there's no stopping. It. The school had to fund it. They mm -hmm. had to. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just so happy that you were able to find and take back. I can't even imagine if you hadn't taken back your power as a professional, just knowing that you got your education for a reason that you completed your mission. And now that this was your new mission that you had to accomplish. I don't know what would have came out of it if you had not joined or came to Central to kind of like. Yeah. And um, Divine, as much as Rowan, I would love this conversation to keep on going because just hearing you share all of your experiences and stories has been so fantastic. We do have to start wrapping up and we just okay. say that we appreciate you and all you do have done for this university and all of our students. And I'm sure all of our listeners who will be listening to this episode just appreciate everything that you do and who you are as an individual, as a person, and as a professor at this institution. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I really, really do. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to tell my stories. I'm very, very grateful. Yeah. Thank you. And with that being said, thank you so much for joining us today, Wildcats. If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to hear some of our previous episodes uh, throughout this uh, season two, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts or YouTube at Word to the Wildcat. If you're interested in any other amazing programs that the CLC has to offer, check out our website at cwu.presence.io and follow our social media pages. Yeah, and finally, remember, you can receive credit towards earning your Wildcat Leadership Academy certificate by just simply listening to this episode and doing a quick assessment. So um, you can learn more, that at, learn, learn more about that at the CLC website. And with that being said, please join us again for next season. Uh, I'm Tommy. And I'm Areli, and this has been Word to the Wildcat.